Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. You're listening to the first and only podcast dedicated to the business of pharmacy. Hear from independent pharmacy owners, leading entrepreneurs, political strategists, healthcare technology trends, career coaching, interviews about our pharmacy industry, and more. Be sure to subscribe to the show via iTunes and leave us a voice comment from our contact section on the website. You can find all of our episodes at pharmacypodcast.com. Hi, this is Dr. Blair Telemeyer of Pharmapreneur Academy. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Allison Daring Anderson. She has um, been interested in point-of-care testing, and today we're going to talk about uh, all things point-of-care testing and collaborative practice agreements. She's a big proponent of community pharmacy and I'm so excited to welcome her to the show. So welcome to the show, Allison. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. So let's just get started. How did you first become interested in point-of-care testing? Well, I have to admit that if you look at our point-of-care testing team, I'm sort of the odd girl out. I'm the one that is fascinated by policy and laws and politics as long as it's appropriate and all of those <laughs> kinds of things. So we had two infectious disease specialists who were amazing at taking care of infectious disease and those kinds of things. We had a gentleman who teaches physical assessment and is our cardiology specialist. We had a young lady that works in specialty pharmacy and cares for special needs patients with exceptionally difficult prescriptions. And then you've got me. And I'm a <laughs> community pharmacist by genetics. Daddy was a pharmacist in the community. My mom's oldest brother was a pharmacist in the community. And our youngest daughter is a community pharmacist. So wow. it was the community pharmacy piece and the policy, and then rounding out our team, we actually have a health economist, and his warning to all of us was, you can create any kind of great program you want, but if you can't sell it, you really haven't helped anyone. And, and so we needed to find legal ways mm -hmm. to do point-of-care testing in community pharmacies, and as fascinating as constitutional law and civics and all of that was for us. I, I can hear people rolling their eyes <laughs> as we're chatting, but see, I love that stuff. And so every state, every jurisdiction has a different way that this is legal. And that's the piece that just lit my fire. And, and so I jumped onto the team and I think we have done some really fun stuff. That is so awesome, and I am so glad that we have people like you because I'm definitely not one of those people, <laughs> the policy and law and politics, so more power to you. I'm, I'm glad you well, got that you. covered. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit more about the team. Is it like a research team, or are you doing a study? Mm -hmm. We started as a research team, and the, the question asked was, if you believe you have influenza, can you come to the community pharmacy 
have somebody shove a swab up your nose, test you for influenza, and then dispense the neuraminidase inhibitor without making you go to the doctor's office. Right. And is that something you, the patient, would like? Is that something you, the patient, would pay for? And is it safe and efficient and all of those things? And so that's what we first studied. And then we did a very similar study with group A strep. If you think you have a strep throat, do you have to go to the doctor? Right. It is expanded so that now folks on the research team are looking at, can you come to a community pharmacy to be screened for hepatitis C? Can you come to a community pharmacy to be screened for HIV? And can we hook you up with public health or a provider almost instantaneously if you have a reactive test to get the follow-up confirmatory test, to get into therapy, to understand the nature of this chronic and infectious disease so the, the research has completely taken off, and what is so fascinating is that even though not every one of those is an area that is a particular interest or love of mine, mm-hmm. the concept of using the community pharmacy as a triage point, as an access point into the entirety of the healthcare system, it doesn't matter. Our next adventure is going to be can we uh, administer and then read tuberculosis tests for people who live a long way away from county health or who can't get off work when county health is open? Can we contribute to the system by by helping with tuberculosis screens? And that one actually is sort of near and dear to my heart. Um, and, And so we have just done what I think are some really fun things and and it's beginning to branch into areas that aren't infectious disease. Folks are using this to monitor and actually adjust diabetes therapy. It's not unlike our colleagues in ambulatory care who monitored and adjusted anticoagulant doses and they've done that for years. But we never ever got that piece into the community pharmacy This is something that is designed for that drugstore on the corner to get people who don't have a primary care provider. And fascinatingly, in our research, about 30% of the people did not. They wouldn't have had an office to go to without the pharmacist's intervention. And then the follow-up care that goes with that which is a simple phone call often that says, hey, are you feeling better? Or did you keep your appointment to have this HIV second test or whatever it was? And it, and it keeps people engaged in the healthcare system so that we can get them to the exact right providers. Yeah, that's so valuable. I can, I'm thinking of a, a place here in rural Arkansas that they don't have, you know, it's just a very small town. They don't have a physician's office. They don't have any kind of health department um, in this town. There's one in the county seat, but there is a pharmacy there. There is a, you know, a small independent pharmacy there. And I'm thinking 
he would really benefit from putting in, you know, some of these types of screenings and services. I mean, you know, I, I can just imagine these people that, you know, are putting off taking their, their, their children in to see a, a pediatrician because, you know, they, they don't want to drive, you know, 60 miles or something to, to the closest pediatrician. But if they could go in and get a strep screening and they could get, you know, a, a dispense for an antibiotic, Man, I, I just think that would be so valuable to, you know, and particularly the rural populations. Oh, we think so, too. But more than that, and, and the piece that we are really beginning to talk more about is if the test is negative, mm-hmm. you're not going to get an antibiotic from a pharmacist. Because right. we know that an antimicrobial will not treat a virus. And so we are doing our part to help stop inappropriate prescribing. Right. And, and that's sort of a fascinating dichotomy. When you think about pharmacy, you think about us being the drug experts, but you usually think about that meaning that we give you something. Right. Well, we're also showing that we say no, and we say no pretty efficiently. <laughs> no, this is not appropriate for you. Let's treat your symptoms. It has to be a virus that the test came back negative. Let's see what's going on. And interestingly, throughout the course of the study, we have a, a handful of cases where the patient was critically ill and didn't know that. Yeah. But in the screening, which included oxygenation and respiratory rate and body temperature and all of those things, wow. they were identified as too sick to yeah. be seen in the pharmacy, one of them was ultimately hospitalized. And oh, wow. probably, yeah, you know, and could easily just have bought a lozenge and a painkiller and gone home. And, and who knows what would have happened to that patient except that the pharmacist was able to intervene, get them triaged to the right place, and identify this patient is, is clearly very ill and we need to do something sooner rather than later. So, uh, yeah, we, we're showing all kinds of benefit to the system. And while the numbers aren't huge, I mean, we haven't screened or tested thousands and thousands and thousands of patients, mm-hmm. those for whom we have provided service in the, set, in the study setting, they said we would absolutely be willing to pay for this service. So your pharmacist in rural Arkansas or rural Nebraska or inner city wherever mm-hmm. where there isn't a provider is already looking to the pharmacist as the only healthcare provider around. Yes, we can make money doing it, but I will defer that to our economist. It feels so good right. to take care of a patient I and mean, really care for them. And, and connect with them and touch them. You know, you hold your, mm-hmm. their hand when you're taking their pulse. And, and to be a part of the team knowing that you have built a collaborative protocol that gives you all the safety nets you need. You know who you're going to call when the patient's critically ill. You know what you're going to do if the test is positive, if the test is negative. It, it's a really neat collaborative system. 
Absolutely. So, so that brings us to our next point about putting together a good legal, you know, legally binding, legally protective collaborative practice agreement. Can you talk a little bit about the project that you were involved with, with and how pharmacies can put together uh, that type of collaborative practice agreement? Absolutely. The first thing I'm going to tell you is that every state and jurisdiction is slightly different. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you general information. If I was writing a collaborative practice protocol in Arkansas, I would call the Arkansas Pharmacists Association and I would contact the Arkansas Board of Pharmacy just to be sure that I had dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. That being said, I got to work with an amazing team of people who are public health minded, people who understand collaboration and cooperation and, and they're similar words, but they're not identical. Mm -hmm. And we created what we tongue in cheek call the perfect protocol. <laughs> and we gifted that to NACHO. It's the National Alliance of City and County Health Organizations, or maybe it's county and city. It, it looks like nacho to me, and then when I read it, I get hungry and all of that. <laughs> but they have it in their toolkit on their website for free. And it talks about the preamble and, and that the preamble has to talk about what benefit is in this collaboration for the patient, not the providers. And then it defines who the diagnostician is, who the pharmacist and pharmacist interns are, what patients are eligible, which patients are not, what tests are appropriate, and what you're going to do as a result of those tests. And then toward the end of the document, it actually talks about liability. A pharmacist is responsible for pharmacy. A diagnostician is responsible for diagnostics. So should the pharmacist err in any way, the provider's not responsible for that. Right. And if we refer a patient to the provider and something goes wrong, pharmacy's not responsible for that. It, it pretty much says, I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. I trust that you're going to do your job to the best of your ability. And we're operating on trust, not each other's licenses. Mm -hmm. And it works really, really well. And, and that concept, of together, I am going to work with a diagnostician or a laboratory expert or public health or all of the above to say, these are the patients that I can handle. This is, these are the interventions that I can make. These are the patients who are too sick or fall outside of some other criteria. And this is what I'm going to do for them. I'm, I'm not just going to wave at them and go, yeah, sorry, you don't meet my criteria. Bye-bye. It, it, it clearly spells out how I'm going to get them into the healthcare system, how I'm going to care for the people that I am able to care for. It's, it's just the neatest thing. And some states are very wide open. You can collaborate on almost anything. Other states are a little more restrictive. Right. Some of them require a special credential. Um, the advanced practice pharmacist, for instance, in California. Mm -hmm. There is a similar concept in North Carolina. Um, and, and it's a matter of figuring out how you can put your talent into the law and make them match 
and then working with other members of the healthcare team that you work with every day who know you and trust you and it, the system works pretty darn well. Sometimes you have to be a little creative. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a little time to ease some discomfort because it's new and new stuff is a little scary. But, but when you see patients who get better, you see improved antimicrobial stewardship, you see improved access, which means that they get care more quickly. All of those are good things for every member of the healthcare team. I mean, think about being the only doctor in the county. Right. And in your waiting room is a brittle diabetic, a patient with severe congestive heart failure, and two pediatric patients. You don't want an otherwise healthy adult with influenza to come cough on all of them. They could die from that exposure. You are very happy when that patient is cared for at the pharmacy, protecting your higher acuity patients that you have to see. I couldn't have cared for any of those folks in my pharmacy, mm -hmm. but I can take care of this one and keep them out of your waiting room and keep them away from the people that they could kill with a disease that we forget kills people. So everybody wins in that situation. Interestingly, we are also finding that by testing and treating and reporting, we actually increase the rate at which surveillance data becomes available. Okay. Because pharmacies report those positive tests immediately instead of like every third Friday or whatever. And so the public health surveillance people are beginning to say, wow, we get better, more robust data quicker because there are pharmacies in more zip codes than there are reporting providers. Yeah, and for earlier and that's a very cool deal. You know, I'm thinking the earlier we can diagnose these things, some of these things, HIV, hepatitis C, you know, even flu and strep, if you can catch them earlier, you can actually, uh, you know, provide a better treatment plan, put together a better treatment plan, and that patient will have a better outcome in the long run. Oh, absolutely. And in those close contact transmissions like hepatitis C and HIV, mm -hmm. maybe we can prevent the next infection right. Right. by notifying the patient, hey, you may not be safe, and, and let's find out the answer to that before you do anything that puts someone else at risk. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really powerful. I mean, that, that alone should, should make, you know, community pharmacies think that, man, I need, to, I need to look into this stuff. I need to put some screenings in place and, and you know, look into collaborative practice. So that kind of brings me to my next question. Like, for a pharmacy that wants to start implementing, you know, these types of screenings and point-of-care testings and put together a collaborative practice, how do you recommend that they begin to form that relationship um, and help ease the discomfort so that they can create this collaboration with the, you know, potential collaboration with the other providers in their area? 
Well, I think that if you are brand new to town, it's going to take a little time to earn trust. That's just the way people are. Mm -hmm. But if it's been your store and you have been working with those prescribers for a decade, catching dosing errors, notifying them about drug allergies, taking after-hours calls, and all those things that community pharmacists do, they already trust you. Absolutely. And our first piece of advice is if you are immunizing, go back to that same provider. Mm-hmm. They clearly trust you enough to stick a needle into somebody. They will probably trust you enough to stick a Q-tip up their nose. <laughs> and, and I'm not making light of either task. They are professional and you have to learn how to do them well. But really... If they trust you to give immunizations and keep the records and make the reports, this is sort of a natural outflow of that because the workflow, the notification and communication system is virtually identical. We're just talking about a different procedure. County Health will often provide you some resources. If you happen to live in a county that is large enough that they actually have a medical director, that person can sometimes sign your protocol. Okay. We have also found that by training and sort of by history, nurse practitioners are much more used to a collaborative environment than any of the other prescribers we deal with. And if your state will allow collaboration with a nurse practitioner, and my state, I'm from Nebraska, we do allow that, that those folks are so much more comfortable with the concept because they have worked that way already. Right. All of those things are inroads. But truly, if you are the local community pharmacist, you have already developed lots of relationships with prescribers. And, and it's a matter then of making the right pitch, which is, I have been trained, I know what I'm doing, I don't want your really sick people, I, I want to help in this way, and about 30% of the people I see don't have a primary care practitioner, happy to refer them your way, mm-hmm. because they're clearly going to need you too, can we work together on this? And the last piece is identify what your community needs. Mm-hmm. Not every community has a serious HIV issue. But if you do, what a great service screening would be. Right. Not every community needs whatever service it is that you can think of. And I can think of, I don't know, there's like 120 different point of care tests. And I can think of a way to use almost all of them. But that's because I'm so excited about this process. The issue is look out into your community, identify those unmet needs, and say, together we can this need in this fashion. And I think when we start looking at it as this is service that's not being provided for whatever reason, whether it's access, whether it's convenience, whether it's the distance of the drive, whatever it is, it's not happening right now. So we are not taking business away from anyone. We are bringing in a currently unserved or underserved population 
who are going to need lots of things from the healthcare system, let me help hook them up in the right place. And, and that, I think, improves your ability to sell the process and then do it really well, tell everybody what you're doing, report back faithfully as you have agreed to, and you will be surprised. But the next recommendation may come from the prescriber right? who may say, hey, can you do this too? Because <laughs> I would really like to see someone and, and pick a thing. I mean, it, wouldn't it be neat if we could test everybody for Zika in their community pharmacy? Right. We can't yet, but we're not that far away. Or if you live near the great outdoors, it would be great if we could test for Lyme disease before you ever had to go to the clinic for the follow-up lab test and check and make sure you've got all the pieces of the tick removed. And some of those kinds of services are really, really valuable, especially for those conditions that are sort of nebulous in the beginning. Right. Who I feel icky. Well, what does that mean? And, and have you been stung by a mosquito or bitten by a tick? Or is there influence in your household? Or did you just get off a cruise ship? <laughs> Let me help figure out what's going on. I, absolutely. And I, I want to highlight your, your point, too, about meeting the unmet needs. You're not taking business away from the providers. I think that that's a very powerful, uh, you know, point to, to market to them about. And I do really feel that once you start offering services such as this, it really opens doors to be able to collaborate with them on other things. So I talk to a lot of pharmacy consultants, people that want to work within a physician's office and offer services such as uh, chronic care management and transitional care management and bedside delivery and, you know, all kinds of just really innovative and really interesting things, but you got to start somewhere, you know, and I think that, I think that that's a great point to start with something like screenings and really build trust and work from a model that is actually working. So I think that's a oh, absolutely. And with so many of these conditions, the standard treatments are so well defined. Mm-hmm. You know, if if I have a re- reactive HIV test, I need a follow up test, and these are the people in my community who will do that. Or maybe I go so far as to identify somebody who will come to my pharmacy and do that blood draw immediately so that the patient can't be lost to follow up. All of those things. And we also probably ought to look beyond our boundaries a little bit better. Our federal pharmacist colleagues are doing stunning, amazing things with the exact same education that we have. One of our recent graduates, Dr. Elena Seckel, just built primary care pharmacist providers in her VA system. They were so overwhelmed with patients that were stable hypertensives and stable diabetics 
They had a lack of primary care providers. So pharmacists are seeing these patients, adjusting medications, doing follow-ups, ordering labs. Now, that's the VA system. Right. And so they have the advantage of not operating under any state law, operating only under federal law. But the advantage to every one of us is they are federal employees and their creations belong to all of us because we're citizens. And we need to ask our colleagues in Native American health, in the VA system, in the Department of Defense, what are you doing that is creative that we can mirror in community pharmacy to help folks who are not eligible to come into your system? And these folks have been doing some of these really amazing things for over a decade. So they're good at it. They can tell us the pitfalls and the challenges. And I think, and, and this is sort of one of my soapbox moments, but <laughs> I think we don't brag about us. I agree. Often enough. And if we find a colleague who is doing something amazing, even if it's not something that we can do right now, we ought to tell five or six people, hey, I have this colleague who's doing this really amazing thing. So that every time a pharmacist says, hey, I have this idea, it's not the first time that anybody has ever thought about it because we've been bragging about it for a while. Right. Hey, Dr. Seckel up in Wisconsin is seeing patients and saving physician time and getting good drug regimens. Do I want to do that at my store tomorrow? No, I really don't. But I want you to know how neat pharmacy could be. And then in a couple of years when I think, you know, now maybe I'm ready to do this. It won't be the first time they heard it. Absolutely. And I think that that is, is kind of where where you know where i want to go with my business with with my writings with my e-course and the information that i'm putting out i want it to be out there for the advancement of pharmacy because i really see you know the more like you said the more we brag about ourselves the more we brag on each other and if anyone wants me to brag on them feel free to contact me i would be happy to brag on you and share your story because that's really what i want to do not just theorizing what could be but giving people a model and a step-by-step instruction on how to put these things together and how to implement them into their practice, I think it's, I think it's time. I think it's time for everyone to share. Oh, I do too. And, and you have touched upon, I think, one of the greatest frustrations when I actually put on my academician hat, and I don't wear that hat very often, but, but when I am thinking truly as an educator, just write it. It doesn't have to be a fancy, double-blind, 72-year study. Write a case report for your state journal. Write a case study for APHA or ASHP or whatever it is that you read. You want to read about people like you. So when you're doing something creative, when you have found a way over, under, or around a hurdle, Take the time to write it 
so that we don't have to stumble upon your knowledge by mistake. It's actually out there. Or come on and brag with you. That would be a fun, <laughs> fun podcast to listen to. Hey, let me tell you how I solved this problem. That would be great. I would love it. I would gladly do that for anyone that wants to contact me. Well, if this hasn't lit a fire under some people yet, I don't know what will. So would you like to give the listeners to the Pharmacy Podcast a call to action? If they're ready to start putting point-of-care testing into their pharmacy, set up a collaborative practice, add clinical services, what is something that they can do today to work forwards towards that goal of offering more clinical services? Well, I would start by saying go out to the Nature website and find that perfect protocol template and read it and think, yes, I have all of the data I need to fill this in, or no, I have to do more research. Mm -hmm. And then together with the, the best minds in your pharmacy, and that doesn't mean the best pharmacists, that means the people who know the most about your community sort of make a needs list and say, I can help with this need. I can help with this need. This is how I can do that. And, and when you have that protocol in front of you and your needs list say, is this an intervention I can make? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm going forward. If you are beyond that point, if you know this is something you want to do, the program that we created for our research is actually available from the National Association of Chain Drug Stores. Mm -hmm. You can contact them for the whole point of care testing class or go read a couple of articles um, about point of care testing. Some are ours, some come from other institutions, but I think we're all finding the same sort of thing and then start talking to people, the people you want to collaborate with, the patients you want to serve, and as they get excited, then you get more excited, and that may just be the push you need to, to actually act on this. Wow, that, that is so great. So we will definitely put a link to the Nature website and everything that we mentioned in the show notes. If you guys have any questions for me, you know, feel free to email me. I'm at Blair Telemeyer at btpharmacyconsulting.com. And I would be happy to, uh, you know, try to answer any questions or try to point you in, in the right direction so that, you know, you can get started and, and really get move and, uh, you know, take some action on these ideas. So, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. I think that this episode is going to be really great. And I think that a lot of people are going to really benefit from this information that you've shared with us today. Well, we surely hope so. And certainly you are welcome to contact me. I think my contact information will also show up in the show notes. Mm -hmm. I can't solve all the world's problems and I don't know all the country's laws, but I will certainly do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Thanks so much for being here on the Pharmacy Podcast today. You have a great day. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Pharmacy Podcast Show. 
be sure to subscribe to the show and send us a voice message with your ideas and comments from our contact section on the website. Did you know we develop digital health content to assist with business development and marketing efforts? Learn how we can help you drive more patients, physicians, and targeted leads to your website. Contact us today at pharmacypodcast.com.